Oh man. It feels weird. I feel exposed. <laughs> I'm, I normally feel like I can kind of warm into this, but with cameras on, it's like right. It's like I'm, I'm already on. Episode 100. This is Around the Post, the ATP podcast. Um, I feel like we look kind of like our cover art. Uh, a little bit. Sitting, a little bit, yeah. A little bit. This is episode 100. We have made it to the triple digits. And this uh, this kind of reminds me of um, all the times where you're like, so Roger Federer was in 72 semifinals. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about this, man? 100 episodes. It's uh, This is, speaks to his longevity, you know? <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, it's been a good journey. Um, it feels weird for me to sit here. I normally sit at the computer and I kind of like monitor things, but we just have a ghost over there. There's nothing over there but a camera and the computer's running and hopefully nothing falls apart while we I'm sitting here. We better not mess up then. Yeah, we can't make any mistakes today. Um, but... Um, we have a, a very good episode. There's a lot of great things happening in tennis. Uh, it's been 100 episodes, which means it's been over two years because we have missed weeks. Um, and there's 52 weeks in a year, right? So we're, we're well over the two year mark here. How do you feel? Oh, it's exciting. Uh, as you stated, two years, we missed, uh, COVID because of the COVID. So it's great to be back and on camera. All right, man. Well, I don't want to hold you up too much. I know you got a decent list of content for us. Uh, where do you want to start? Okay, so we're going to start with, uh, if you're not really, really into tennis, you may not know who she is, but Kaya Kanepi does it again. Do, do they need to know who she is? Uh, no, but yes and no. But okay. uh, uh, it, this is a pretty good stat. Um, she has the most victories against a seeded player in the first three rounds. So she beat Muguruza in the first round. Okay. She has 19 victories against uh, seeded players in the top 10. Uh, wow. She has 19 wins. So uh, Is she the female Kyrgios? I'm only serious if I care about my opponent. That, it sounds about right, yes. Okay, that's impressive. Azarenka has 21, Venus has 22, and Serena has 29. Nice. Yes. Nice. So I, I thought that I'd bring that up, and uh, it's a pretty interesting stat. Yeah, uh, you want to comment in, something? She's in very good company, because all those other athletes have slams, don't they? Yes. Yeah, so uh, does that mean there's one in her future? It's possible if she becomes a little more consistent. If there's ever a time, the time is now. Exactly. So she's only got one player to beat if she really wants a slam right now. That is correct. I think that's on our docket for today, so I'm going to shut up. Exactly. So with that, this is the perfect transition. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is going on with the WTA Top 10? So we have Muguruza, who lost early. We have Kontavit, who lost and we have Ange Jabour, who I did not expect to lose. She's been on fire on clay. Jeez. I thought that she was going to be the contender to Iga, mm. but she ended up losing. So what is going on with the WTA top 10? I don't know. Um, is it nerves? Is it... I don't have a good answer for it. Um, it just seems very spotty. And it also... It just makes me wonder, what does it mean to be a top 10 WTA player right now? What does it really mean? Um, 10 years from now, they're going to talk about all these women who are retiring. And when they say this player peaked at number four in the world, are we going to really be gasping from that? Exactly. I don't, I don't know. What is it? How much does it really hold? Who 
does it, it doesn't speak to consistency, clearly, you know, so I don't like that. I don't like it. I'm just shocked, really, because I really thought that with uh, the dominance being gone, that a lot of the new contenders would try to juggle for spots yeah. and would be able to make something of it. But here they're struggling to even stay there. Interesting. I, I just don't get what's going on. Yeah, I'm I'm a little disappointed. I think that this is putting an asterisk on the true stars of today. You know, yes. um, we have some players who I think they'd be doing what they're doing no matter what the era was. But because it's in this era, it's almost going to be like the Safinish reputation, you know, where it's like, okay, but who was really in their peak during your time with you? That kind of situation. And I don't like that. Yes, I don't either. Uh, we're going to talk about Iga in a bit, but that sort of puts an asterisk on her legacy, in my opinion. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about Serena. She makes another record. Now, in 2003, um, she wasn't a rookie in 2003, but her rookie card sold for over $260,000. What? The, uh, there's a tennis card? Yes. Okay, I didn't even know that. Uh, the previous record was 117000 for a female athlete. And Serena, Serena's 2003 rookie card, although she wasn't a rookie in 2003, right. sold for over 260000 What are your thoughts on that? Um, if you were to ask me which female athlete in all of sports history should have the most valuable rookie card, quote-unquote, Serena comes to mind. Um, I like this. Um, I can't think of a more dominant, reputable, popular, commercial successful female athlete that isn't named Serena Williams. I can't think of one. Um, the rest of them seem to have a fall from grace or an asterisk next to their name. Um, there's something. You know, there's obviously like the historical moments or the the pioneers. You know, we have those where they paved the way for other women to do things. But when we talk sheer statistics, uh, Serena's it. That's the one. She's the Michael Jordan of tennis. Yes, I agree. She's She's carried the sport for a while. Yeah. And um, obviously, you need competition to carry. But uh, she's been the biggest star in the WTA for a while. And she's in her third decade of tennis. Correct. Um, So there's no question about if her era was challenging enough. Yes. At this point, if it wasn't, you'd go, well, it sounds like she's just separating herself from the pack. Yes. Because she played in the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s. Now we're in the 2020s. She played in 99, right? Yes. That technically makes it one, two, three. She's in her fourth decade, quote unquote. That's crazy. Yes. Uh, they used to wear the beads. Yeah. And uh, people would complain because uh, they'd slip, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it was an interesting arrow that time for sure. Yeah. So she's in her fourth, quote, decade sector of 10 years. That's unbelievable. Yes. I don't know if I can think of another athlete. Better. Yeah, Federer, that's it. That's it, pretty much. Wow. Beautiful. Amazing. And she's had more success than Federer in her fourth quarter. Oh, yes. Agree. Agree for sure. Uh, now, a little more Serena news. Now, uh, Pam Shriver, has, uh, she's a former tennis player as well. Mm-hmm. She has been extremely disappointed in the Italian Open. Now, let me give you a stat real quick. Okay. Iga won the Italian Open and won $465,000 thereabout. Um, Stefano Sissipas was the runner-up. He won 680000 So he wins more than the women's champion. 
Now guess how much uh, Djokovic uh, won for uh, winning Italy. A million? 1.2. Wow. So this is the fairest um, as far as women's sports are concerned. Uh Tennis is the fairest as far as paying women. Yes, it is. But here, there's such a big disparity. And uh, Pam Shriver says, uh, we need new owners. So she cried out to... Uh, Serena, who has a, a venture capital thing going on, to yeah. Billie Jean King and said, hey, we need to purchase the Italian Open from their owner. What yeah. are your thoughts? I 1,000% agree. Um, this is pathetic. This is disappointing. I would I would seriously, seriously understand if the men were selling double the tickets. I'd get it. You know, if Djokovic doubled the sales of Serena Williams, pay him double. That was always my my uh, my counter argument for like when the WNBA complaints get brought up versus the NBA. I'd go, look, the NBA sells out the Staples Center. They sell it out, you know, so there's money in existence to pay them that much. But in tennis, the women fill up the same exact stadiums, the same exact venues. There's no reason, you know, there's no reason why the dis- distance between both of their pays should be that far because the ticket sales, the revenue are not, they're yes. just not, you know? So, I mean, women have almost a very similar tour right now to the men with Iga being so dominant and present, having the Serena's, the Venus's Halep's, you know, the, the legacy acts and stuff like that. They're not far apart and all sports have their constructive years and their destructive years where they go up and down in dominance with stars so, I don't get it. Yes, uh, and we talked about this in episode one. Yeah. Uh, that 1999 women's soccer team, they won the World Cup. They were bringing people in, mm-hmm. and the men were winning more than the women, making more than the women. So, to me, it just doesn't make any sense. We know about the, that team. Yes, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the WTA, they're selling tickets. It's not as if they're double, the ATP is doubling the uh, amount. Not so, it close. just doesn't make sense to me why they're yeah. getting paid so little. But hopefully there's a change there. Now, sticking to Iga, uh, she has been dominant this past uh, couple of months. Yes. She's on a 29-match winning streak, and she's being compared to Serena Williams and saying she is just as dominant as her when she was on her run. Now, let me give you a little stat. Okay, uh, please do. Please. Make uh, this Iga, make sense. Iga is losing 2.4 games each set when she's in this uh, winning streak. Okay. What are your thoughts? Do you think that she is as dominant as Serena when she was in her prime? Um, I don't. And here's why. Um, I do think that Iga is in a league of her own. I think that this is one of the greatest runs in women's tennis history. Um, I think that it will go down in history and speak to her legacy. But on the flip side, because there is a flip side, she's doing it with a lot of legwork extensive rallies um taking the ball extremely early and she's doing it for a much shorter amount of time than Serena did it much shorter um we just spoke on the length of Serena's career in general um a four decade transcending overall run of success where she was essentially although not accurately in the rankings represented always considered a top 10 contender her entire four decades. Iga, this is probably her first year where we're going, it's a no-brainer. No-brainer, she's top five. 
We've never said that outside of this podcast before. Um, Serena did it with a serve and a forehand almost. You know, it was it was a different type of dominance. It was the type where it didn't matter who was on the other side of the court because she was smacking the ball so hard. <laughs> you know, it's it's a type of dominance where you just go, is there a strategy for being completely out physically performed? I. I don't understand how this is comparable. I think the Iga's skill-wise, this is more comparable to maybe like a Henning. You know, that might be a little more accurate for me as far as consistently playing at a high level and stuff like that, but not Serena. Um, after the Australian Open, when she lost in the uh, semifinals, mm-hmm. she won Doha, she won Indian Wells, she won uh, Miami, she mm-hmm. won Stuttgart, and she won Rome. So here's my thing. Um, they're both dominant in different ways. Yeah. Serena is, has one of the <clears> most <throat> dominant um, shots in WTA history, yeah. which is her first serve. Mm-hmm. It's arguably the, tough, the toughest uh, WTA shot of all time, arguably. Yeah. Iga, on the other hand, she has what other women don't, which is the top spin shot. Mm-hmm. She can open up the court. A lot of women tend to hit flat. Yeah. And she has variety on her shots. Mm-hmm. So that's what Iga brings to the table mm-hmm. that Serena didn't. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. you Serena have Serena. Serena did bring topspin to the table. Just not not that much yeah. as Iga. Yeah. But on the other hand, you have Serena who has the big weaponry. Yeah. That she can just hit people off the court. Right. And to do that at the French Open with no spin is saying a lot. It's saying a lot, a lot. The fact that Serena Williams on paper should not have very many French Opens at all, and she was consistently a favorite at the French Open, says plenty to me about the difference between an Iga and a Serena. With Iga, her dominance, I I, I don't know if we're getting into this later, but part of it does come into there not being a major, major rival on the tour. Uh, Serena survived countless rivals. People were trying to invent rivals for her because everyone that was a rival was dominated. You know, um, I'll never forget when they tried to create the Sharapova rivalry. Yes, and it wasn't there. It never existed. It never existed. So, for me, I think that Iga is just barely breaking herself away from the rest. Barely. Sakari had her number four months ago. It's too soon. You know, it's way too soon. Once she truly separates herself and other players start to see her the way other players saw Serena, now we're talking. I still think that they have hope when they play her. Yes, uh, uh, that happens a lot in sports where people just try to build this new person so they can talk about it over and over and over. Um, I get it, but... And and sometimes it gets irritating. Yeah. Uh, for example, I'm not saying that Alcaraz isn't good because he's, he's phenomenal. Yeah. But they're riding on him a little too soon. Yeah. And uh, at least Iga does have a French Open Grand Slam. She does have one Grand Slam. She does. So she has proven her dominance, mm-hmm. but you still need to let her ride it out and see what she really has. Right. So we're going to move on to the next topic, which is Nadal makes more history. Today, he won his second round match and he joined the 300 club. He's won 300 games in the Grand Slam and in all Grand Slams. What are your thoughts on his uh, longevity? Um, do you have, can you speak to who else is in that club? Do we know? Uh, not that I, I'm aware of. I wish I knew, but I don't. Okay, because 300 is 
a lot. How many how many rounds on average are in a Grand Slam? Obviously, there's seven. the first round, second round. There's seven? Seven. Seven. So, geez, that is, that's insane. That means that you'd have to play, you'd have to play for at least a decade to even reach that goal. That's, that's pretty impressive. Um, I don't know how many players are going to be able to copy that or match that or compete with that title or that record. But yeah, I got to give him some credit. Um, obviously we do it all the time here, but 300 wins in slams speaks to the same thing as how many times he's been in quarters, how many times he's been in semis, how many years he's been in the top 10. I mean, at this point, we could just make up stats and they're probably true. That's how consistent he is. You know? That's fair. We you probably know? could. So, um, you know, this is just another great thing to notch on the belt. Congratulations, Rafa Nadal, and keep doing what you're doing. Yes, uh, at the U.S. Open, he has 64 wins. At Wimbledon, he has uh, 53 in um, Australia, he has 76. And at the French Open, 107. He is 107 in three at the French Open. Unbelievable. The most dominant player ever on any surface. Yeah. No one will catch up to that in our lifetime. But, no. you know, good for him. Yes. And another uh, stat that he broke. Um, record, sorry. Uh, Federer had 105 wins at Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nadal just has 107 at Roland Garros. So he just broke that record. Do you think that, not to put Djokovic under the bus, but mm-hmm. I've been thinking about this for a while. Okay, uh, go ahead. Do you think that Djokovic, we talk about Djokovic's dominance. Right. But we don't talk about the longevity because of what he did when he was younger. Right. Do, do you think that he can break such records, the longevity records? I I want to tell you he definitely has the skill set. He has the skill set to do it. But really think about how often in the last 5 years Djokovic's biggest opponent, greatest rival has been himself. He's cheated himself out of I think 3 slams now. Um, you Easily. know, it it doesn't make any sense to me. And that's why I think his longevity records will probably all get broken or not quite match the other two, only because of himself. Um, when he shows up and there's no drama and he's focused and he's healthy, he's just like them. He's just like them. He's incredible. He's going to get to a quarter, a semi, possibly a final. Um, obviously, he has the Australian where he's the most dominant. But the difference between him and them is that they didn't have drama they didn't have de- disqualifications or DQs. There weren't weird antics involved in their tour schedule and stuff like that. And those things separate you. You know, it's little details like that that make you go from 75 wins somewhere to 100 wins somewhere. So I I just don't think it's going to work out in his favor. Obviously, the first five years of his career, the breathing issues, the retiring right. early, he lost a chink there, a chunk there. Boom, that's gone. Now on this tail end, it's COVID, antics with anger and frustrations and vaccines and throwing rackets and balls and you're losing out on opportunities again, you know? So I just don't think he'll be able to keep up. Yes, and that was going to be my point. Uh, Nadal is just a couple of years older than Djokovic. It's not as if he's seven years older than Djokovic. Yeah. Obviously, Federer's 40. 
uh, Djokovic is either between 33 and 35. Yeah. So it makes sense why Federer has such a, a big record on him. But yeah. Nadal is not that much older than him. And you just nailed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the antics he pulled when he was younger, the breathing problems, mm-hmm. I, uh, the quitting problems, mm-hmm. it, that's not helping his cause at all. So, Catching up to him. Yes, I don't think that he's going to uh, break records. He'd have to play a lot longer, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the next topic, the ATP and WTA have made their decision. Now it is official. They will not carry points at Wimbledon at all. So Djokovic is going to go to Wimbledon as the defending champion, but he will automatically lose 2,000 points and will lose the number one spot regardless of whether he wins or loses now this since we're filming this episode this is going to possibly go to platforms that we have new listeners for okay so provide a little bit of backstory to what exactly that means as far as the points in what are you saying here so what i'm saying is when he won wimbledon last year he had 2000 points more than what he did yeah normally when you make it to the semis you make a certain amount of points right but with him not being able to defend points and and uh Wimbledon being pointless yeah uh he's gonna lose 2,000 points period so what are your thoughts on uh, the WTA and ATP's decision why are they doing that well they just don't appreciate the fact that Wimbledon decided not to have Belarusian and Russian players. So, I'm just trying to catch people up here. Okay. Um, The ATP and WTA said, we're not going to award points if not everyone can play. Correct. Meaning, no matter what these athletes do, is not going to contribute to their actual record or accumulation of points gain this year thus they're gonna lose the points that they were protecting that is correct so if you didn't do well last year in Wimbledon you have nothing to lose correct but if you did fantastic last year in Wimbledon you can only lose from a points perspective and obviously Djokovic won and he can only go downward from here that is correct Um. so it's bittersweet for me. I think that the true answer was to let everyone play. That was the true answer. So it is what it is. Um, it's it's disappointing. And this is a reason for an athlete to not play Wimbledon. There, what What is the true incentive for Nadal, whose foot's bothering him, to show up? Exactly. Why wouldn't he rest his foot for the one where he does get points? Right. You know, so it's going to be interesting to see how much... Uh, the athletes decide to show up to this event because if I'm someone who didn't play in Wimbledon last year, didn't do well in Wimbledon last year, this is a paycheck. I'll be there. I'll be there. Now, if I'm someone who I have endorsements, I have sponsors, I'm well off. I'm fine. My shoulder hurts a little bit, you know, like just a bit. I'm going to take the break. I'm going to take the break. It's not going to hinder or hurt my journey to stardom, to fame, to the top 10, the top five, the top two, I'm going to probably skip this event and I will wait for the U S open. So I'm curious to see how many other teams say that to their athletes and they follow that. Yes. Before I get to uh, WTA and ATP reactions, uh, you brought up something about, uh, uh, why even go? Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the French open real quick. 
So the opponent of Medvedev in the first round went in with a calf problem. It mm. was all taped up. He actually fell mm. in the middle of the match. And the, and the ATP, excuse me, said, you know what? I don't know if we should even give you a paycheck. You knew you were injured and you came and we can uh, deduct your, pay, your check for not trying hard enough. Now, he lost uh, 6-2, 6-2, 6-2 to Medvedev. Mm-hmm. The French Open has had a lot of issues with this problem. And, mm-hmm. the, and the most legendary issue is uh, Tomic. <laughs> Bernard Tomic. Exactly. So yeah. uh, what are your thoughts? Do you think the Argentinian player should get paid? Or do you think that it was a dumb move for him to play with an injury, knowingly? Um, no, it wasn't a dumb move. I mean, from a personal health perspective, maybe it was. But as far as his journey, his path, and him showing up and getting six total games out of three sets, he deserves every penny. Um, I think he tried harder if you want to talk about effort. Um, I think that they have no right to take his pay just because he got beat by the a top three player in the world in straight sets. 6-2, 6-2, I don't agree with it. I don't like it. And I understand where they're coming from, but ultimately, I think that he should get his pay. No, I agree 100%. Uh, that's the number two player in the world. Yeah. And do you know how much they struggle to get that kind of a payday? They're playing in the challenges. That's why he's there. Right. He's there because he has no money. He can't exactly. pass this up. Yes, it, it, it's tough for the French Federation to just say, you know what? You knew you were injured. You can't get paid. He tried his hardest. Yeah. And even if he was, do you think he'd really take a set off of Medvedev, although Medvedev is not good on clay? He wouldn't. Med- I don't, I don't think so either. was decent last year on clay. Right. He was decent. So with that being said... I wouldn't have been surprised if he was healthy and lost that way. So Yes, so that's what I'm saying. Just pay the guy. Yeah. So now uh, the final topic is going to be the ATP and WTA reactions. Now we have Djokovic responding to the Wimbledon band saying, it's Wimbledon. Uh, I'm a champion. I'm going. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Iga who said basically the same thing. It's Wimbledon. This is the most prestigious uh, tournament in the world. I'm mm-hmm. going. Then you have the, oh, and, and of course you have Nadal. Yeah. The diplomat. Yeah. We have to respect the decision. It is what it is. <laughs> Go with it. So we have that. But now we have the other end. Okay. We have Osaka mm. who said, I'll make a little pun here, although it was her. Mm. It's pointless. Oh my God. To go to Wimbledon. I'm there to get my ranking higher. Exactly what I said earlier. And with no points, I'm not going. Yeah. So she says she's not going. Isner said, I don't know how to feel about it. Mm-hmm. Again, we make money by the points we make. Yeah. That's what Isner said. Mm-hmm. So he said, I may go Monday. I'll see how I feel. If I do well, great. If not, I'm good with it. Mm-hmm. And then you get Pliskova, who was the other extreme that I never thought of. Mm-hmm. She said, they both made a mistake. Wimbledon mm-hmm. and ATP. Yeah. And WTA. I don't blame them for doing what they did because mm. of Wimbledon, but they're affecting the players. Yeah. They said there should have been a freeze with what happened with COVID. Yeah. She said uh, during COVID, the points were frozen. Mm-hmm. So she was saying, Pliskova, that is, who made the final, by the way, mm-hmm. of uh, Wimbledon last year, yeah. said, uh, it's affecting us. Yeah. And why don't just put a freeze on the points instead of hurting us? So what are your thoughts on that? Do you agree with Pliskova? That is a no-brainer. 
put a freeze on the points, hold your event. No brainer. Taking away the points is crazy. It seems like someone's trying to punish someone. I'm not sure who. I'm not sure why. But at the end of the day, the players get the butt end of the stick. That's what I know for sure. Um, Pliskova's rank, she might be outside the top 10. It's possible. You know, after this. And then, like I said, the people who have endorsements and tons of money outside of tennis, i.e. Osaka. Right. Why is she going to go to this event? She already said it. Why? Why would she be there? And she's not that great on grass anyway. Exactly. She has nothing to gain except having to sit in more media. We, I don't think we're bringing it up today, but she lost in the first round of the French Open. That is correct. She has no desire to waste any time. She's trying to play at events where she is successful, she's welcomed, and the energy is high. And she has something to gain in her rankings. So, yeah, that makes total sense. Not to defend her, but Anna Samova is a good player. Mm-hmm. And they did have a war in Australia. Mm-hmm. So, she Osaka actually didn't play that bad. She just lost to the better player that day. I agree. I so agree. Uh, she will get back to where she was eventually. Mm-hmm. So uh, with that being said, unless there's uh, anything you'd like to add. Um, I do want to ask you uh, just a, a celebratory episode 100 question. Okay. Um, so after doing 100 episodes, which it, it doesn't even really feel like we have. Um, what are some highlight moments you can remember or think of? Is there, is there anything that pops up in your mind immediately when we talk about 100 episodes? As far as the episodes are concerned? Yeah, like moments in episodes or topics or conversation oh, pieces. Yes. Oh, there's there's about four or five things that really come to mind. Tell uh, me. One was our very first episode. Okay. That, that came to mind for sure. Then we have the Kyrgios calling out of uh, Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer. That was pretty funny to me. Yeah, that's a classic. Yes, we have uh, uh, the rumored of uh, when Serena was going to go into WWE. That was a great, great, great episode. I can't remember what number it is. Yes. But Serena Williams going into the WWE was, that was a good episode. Yes, it was rumored. Yeah. And and even wrestlers were saying, oh, she's welcome to come. (laughs) So that that one brought to mind for sure. Yeah. Yeah, those three. Oh, and then the Labor Cup versus... um, the french open or something i yeah, forgot what it was yeah. because the french open was moving their tournament because of covid they were moving it to march or sorry uh, september. september which affected labor cup yeah so that one brought a lot attention as well so those are the four that really bring a lot of uh memories to i me. think my favorite is probably Kyrios loaning his car to his friend who crashed his oh, car yes, that was funny that was a good episode yes. um what's another good one the one where we built the super player. Oh, yes we, we, yes. we chose the best forehand on the tour, best backhand, best serve, best return, and we built a player. So I think uh, we should uh, kind of do like a review on all those and maybe like curate a new episode. Okay. That, maybe we, that sounds good to maybe me. Maybe we build the best doubles team. Isnerman. <sighs> Let's go. Schwarzner. Thank <laughs> Schwarzner. you. Schwarzner um, sounds way better. <laughs> But uh, this is episode 100. It's beautiful to actually, uh, well, we don't see you, but you see us. Um, It's great to be on video. Hopefully we can continue to do this every week in some facet or another. If you enjoyed seeing this episode visually, send us a message. um, ATP podcast on Instagram or Jake Asai on any social media handle. 
Um, we'd love to hear some feedback if there's if you want more camera angles, if you want shorter episodes online. Um, I think we're going to put this video on Spotify as well as the audio, and it'll be on YouTube. So outside of that, this was the ATP Podcast, episode 100. I'm Jake Asai. I hope you guys were entertained.